You're listening to At Any Rate, JP Morgan's global research podcast where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends and themes in fixed income, currency and commodity markets today. I'm Srini Ramaswamy, co-head of US rate strategy for JP Morgan, and today I'm joined by my colleague and senior derivative strategist Epek Ozil to discuss our outlook for the US interest rate derivatives markets in the year ahead. We are recording this on December the 5th, Tuesday, 2023 and our comments today are based on our recently released 2024 outlook publication which is available to institutional clients in JP Morgan on our website JP Morgan Markets so epec um, there's a lot of ground to cover so let's just jump right into it why don't you walk us through our outlook for the fed which is probably the best place to begin um including both our thoughts on the fed funds rate itself as well as balance sheet policy in 2024 Uh sure thing Shrini. So with respect to policy rates, we think that the Fed will be on hold for all of the first half of next year and that it will begin easing steadily in the second half, cutting 25 basis points per meeting starting in July. So this is all consistent with a macro view that looks for slower growth in 2024 and slightly weaker labor markets, which should support sustained declines in inflation. on the balance sheet front and i won't get into too many details here we discussed this in in greater detail in our publication but in short summary we think that the qt can continue through all of next year without being derailed by money market stresses such as the report collapse that we saw in 2019 the reason we think that is because reserves have become very sticky here after the regional banking stress in march which means that even by next year end we think reserves can stay comfortably above the lowest comfortable level of reserves which around like 2.8 to 2.9 trillion thus avoiding reserve scarcity but of course what this means is that the rip balances the other item the other item on like liable side of the fed balance sheet will fall considerably to around half a trillion of course like the most strict consequence of this fed view is perhaps impact on front end swap spreads uh shuni do you want to take that uh yeah uh, so for front end spreads the two factors that matter perhaps the most are not just rrp balances but also forward funds rate expectations and both of these matter with a positive coefficient if you will so what that means is our outlook for a lower forward funds rate and a lower rrp balance implies narrowing pressure uh on front end spreads from both of these factors we think these two factors will probably dominate over all others and the net impact we think should be to pressure two year spreads and you know front end spreads broadly narrower by the middle of the year and some of that is already starting to play out now it's worth noting that not all drivers point the same way uh so for instance we do think that you know an important driver of the front end you know of 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 two year swap spreads uh is the treasury curve at the front end the 25 curve um and that we expect to steepen which should actually pressure spreads wider uh, another factor that impacts uh front end spreads the other way is implied walls uh you know we look for a decline in front end implied wall uh and that should pressure front end spreads wider as well so this means not everything points the same way which means we should get some opportunity to trade front end spreads from both sides uh depending on where um you know things are at any given moment but it also means that you know investors could look at for instance uh combining front end spread narrowers along with curve steepeners um or combining front end spread narrowers with uh, short wall hedges 
to mitigate the widening exposure that comes from these other factors. Got it. And I guess that covers pretty much what we've talked about in front-end spreads, but what about spreads in other maturity sectors? Yeah. Um, so at the long end of the curve, let's begin with the very long end, um, you know, the third-year sector, uh, it's really a balance between sort of demand considerations, um, the outlook for risky assets, and current valuations. So what I mean by that is, uh, let's start with demand. Uh, you know, the thing to watch at the long end of the curve is actually bond fund inflows. So long story short, if and when money flows back into bond funds, that will translate into some amount of passive demand for long-end treasuries, since these investors are indexed to a benchmark that includes the long end. So if such demand materializes, it'll be the most important driver, we think, of swap spreads at the long end, uh, and that would pressure spreads wider. Unfortunately, inflows into bond funds are probably uh, eventually likely, but they are only likely to pick up, uh, you know, very slowly, um, you know, because, you know, they tend to chase returns. So if we get a quarter or two of rally in the, rallies in the market, uh, that will probably bring back, um, you know, some amount of bond fund demand. And that should, that should materialize this, uh, you know, sort of widening pressure on swap spreads. But on the other hand, um, if, if stocks, for instance, sell out significantly, uh, that would create a new or a different dynamic that would cause insurance companies uh, who are, you know, sort of in, in the business of hedging duration that comes from variable annuity books, um, they would need to receive fixed in swaps, you know, by relatively sizable amounts. Um, and that would bring some narrowing pressure on swap spreads at the long end. So in our baseline outlook, uh, you know, how do we net these things off? In our baseline outlook, we are not uh, looking for a sharp enough equity sell-off for this factor to materialize in a, in, a, in a big way, nor are we looking for a pretty big pickup in bond fund AUMs. So what really matters the most is the fact that right now, swap spreads look very too, uh, you know, considerably wide in this sector. So long story short, we look for a narrowing in 30 swap spreads, uh, followed by maybe some upward drift as the year progresses, um, you know, largely based on sort of a return of, you know, inflows into bond funds. In the belly of the curve, uh, it's somewhat, you could say somewhat similar. Uh, swap spreads should remain mostly stable, but the one notable thing right now is that swap spreads are simply too narrow uh, in the five-year sector. Um, so if this connects, that means spreads in the belly should widen as a result of it. But other than that, uh, we think actually, you know, the outlook is actually pretty stable for, for spreads in the belly. Now, all that said, uh, I would point out that with the exception of valuations being too narrow in the belly, most other factors actually in the 10-year sector point to narrower spreads. Now, we think, you know, for example, we think uh, the 5 cents treasury curve should steepen. That is a narrowing influence on 10-year spreads. Uh, we also think, uh, you know, for example, the demand supply dynamic, you know, what's happening to sort of the imbalance between the aggregate, uh, you know, supply in the treasury market, net of, you know, uh, you know for example, aging-related demand. Uh, long story short, demand supply factors also point to a cheapening in spreads, but that's more felt in the 10-year than in the 5-year sector. So it seems to us a lot of things point to a flatter 5 cents swap spread curve. Uh, well, that's probably enough about spreads. Ipek, um, let's talk about vol now. Yes, let's. Um, so I guess I would say vol markets are where the excitement is, or 
was. So we're actually looking for vol markets to become somewhat less exciting as we go through the next year. And we project declines in implied volatility throughout the year. And the rationale is basically that the Fed is likely to be on hold in the early part of the year, which should hopefully bring better policy certainty which should bring better market depth, which should in turn have help sw swaption implied vols to decline and for the vol surface normalize. Just to throw some ballpark projections, so we expect one year, one year um, vol to decline to eight bips per day, one year, 10 year to seven bips per day, 10 year, one year to six bips per day, and 10 year, 10 year to decline to five bips per day. But of course, 2024 is not expected to be a Fed on hold year all throughout the year, as we talked about earlier. It's important to remember that we will eventually approach Fed easing. So in addition to outright short vol positions, which should be just fine in the early part of the year when the Fed is on hold, we also like to use the swaptions market to position for eventual Fed easing. So ideally, a good way to do this will be to do some trades that remain roughly flat while the Fed is on hold, but then begin to outperform as easing approaches. And we think of these as kind of sleeper trades. They basically do nothing until easing becomes more imminent. Um, one example of such a trade is to buy swaption straddles on two-year tails versus selling straddles on five-year tails. And the idea is, as long as the Fed is on hold, the realized volatility of twos will be similar to that of fives, but two-year yields will eventually become a lot more volatile than fives when easing becomes more imminent. So we like the idea of opportunistically scaling into long ball positions on two-year tails versus short ball positions on five-year tails. Another example, and it's along the same um, idea, is buying yield curve volatility. So it's kind of similar. The idea is the volatility of the two stands curve, for instance, remains relatively low while the Fed is on hold, but picks up sharply when easing is, again, more imminent. So po positioning for a rise in curve volatility is also likely to be attractive in 2024. And how do we do that? There are two ways we can position for it. First, and probably simplest, is you can buy yield curve spread options opportunistically when implied curve balls are attractive, or um, we also describe in our publication a synthetic strategy that seeks to replicate exposure to curve volatility, but you do this by trading the tr triad of three swaption straddles. So for example, you can replicate exposure to twos, tens, curve vol by buying straddles on twos and tens versus selling straddles on fives in a carefully weighted manner. Again, like I said, I won't go into details here, but listeners who are interested can find a fairly detailed discussion of our synthetic curveball replication strategy in our publication. I guess that's a quick summary for Vol. Maybe, Shrini, we should cover um, our views on the yield curve and talk a little bit about the term premium. Um, yeah, um, so I guess I should begin with term premium. Um, you know, one question I get a lot from, from clients is, uh, how and if we incorporate term premium into our outlook for the curve. Um, and I guess the first thing I'll say is we don't explicitly incorporate term premium as a factor influencing our curve outlook. Uh, there's many reasons for this, some of it conceptual. Um, but I guess, you know, if you were to summarize, uh, you could say term premium is really not very observable, not observable at all. Uh, and it's only inferred in the context of some, some model. Um, and most measures of term premium have um, you know, uh, are flawed in the sense of being very correlated to the curve. You know, for example, even the most 
widely followed um, you know, measures of term premium um, are very highly correlated with the slope of the yield curve. So if you were to try to use term premium as a factor um, you know, driving the curve, it becomes a circular argument. Um, so we don't do that. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that term premium is now a thing. Uh, it's probably the elephant in the room. Um, and with, you know, all the poor sort of demand supply dynamic facing the treasury market, uh, term premium could well, you know, um, stay elevated in the year ahead. You know, our, our treasury strategists do think that that's the case. Uh, and it could also fluctuate a good bit, uh, meaning uh, it will impact yield curves. Uh, you know, so what can investors do and how are we supposed to think about term premium? Well, um, we think the answer is to use term premium considerations as sort of an overlay on top of everything else that we do to think about the curve. Um, and to do this, we've actually developed uh, what we call a term premium exposure index. Uh, and what this does is it basically measures the degree to which any given yield curve is exposed to a rise in term premium. Uh, and we do that basically in, uh, in relation to the amount uh, of exposure that the two stents curve has to term premium. In other words, let's just say, let's pick the two stents curve as a benchmark and assign it uh, an exposure index of one. Uh, and then we want to say, you know, like what are all these, uh, what, what is the exposure of all these other yield curves to term premium? So uh, some curve that has a term premium exposure index of 0.5, basically what that means is that that curve will steepen in, in the event of a rise in term premium, it will steepen half as much as the two stents curve. So it's a way of sort of, if you will, uh, ranking different swap yield curves, you know, spot and forward yield curves ranking them and assigning them or, and quantifying the extent to which uh, they are impacted by term premium uh, in, in, you know, on a relative basis. So, you know, two stents, like I said, you know, call that the benchmark and it has an exposure index of one, you know, you sort of on a relative basis measure the term premium exposure of every other curve. Now, what's the point of doing all that? Um, you know, the point of doing that is that once you understand how different um, curves are exposed to term premium, you can either you know, combine different curve trades to isolate term premium exposure. For example, if you had the view that term premium is going up and you want a sort of a term premium, a, a long-term premium trade, you could combine different curves to do that. Or you could hedge it up. So you could you could say, uh, I don't want exposure term premium, it's an unwanted risk factor. Um, can I hedge it out? Right. And you know, something like, you know, this tool, you know, a, a, a method that's based on creating sort of a relative term premium exposure index allows you to mitigate exposure to term premium if you so desire or enhance it and, you know, isolate exposure to term premium if that's what you want to do. So we think those sorts of tools will be important next year, um, you know, in, in a variety of ways. You know, when term premium is low, I think you're supposed to construct trades that are mostly long-term premium while hedging out all the other macro risk factors. And conversely, you know, if we are interested in sort of trading, you know, curve steepeners because we think, you know, uh, or, or, or actually a better example might be carry trades. Um, when we are interested in constructing carry trades, term premium might be a, you know, unwanted risk factor and we could, you know, create overlays that, that hedge it out. Well, uh, uh, that's, that's sort of a long, uh, long discussion on on term premium, but it is it is an important consideration at the moment, and it is uh, it is central to how we think about not just the curve, I should say, but uh, how we think about trading the curve 
uh, you know, in the year ahead. Well, Shani, I think that's probably enough for today. We covered a lot of ground in the past, like, 15 minutes or so. To all our listeners, hopefully we have given you enough to think about as we look ahead to 2024. Stay tuned for more episodes of At Any Rate, J.P. Morgan's global research podcast series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read the J.P. Morgan research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on December 5th, 2023.